Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. If somebody said, hey, I want to lose 50 pounds, and they lose 45, did they fail? Let, let's say somebody that, that's coaching that person. Am I disappointed? Am I pissed off that that the goal was 50 and we got 45. Hell no, because the process, the process in the process, they were able to prove to themselves that they can make significant progress towards any goal or any outcome that they want to achieve. And so focusing on the process detached from the outcome What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine with Jimmy Ferris. Uh, man, we had such an amazing talk. Three things, three key takeaways you're going to be in store for. Number one, Jimmy tells a story about when he raced a horse, which is one of my favorite stories of his, but where when he actually raced a horse when he was in college, like foot him versus a horse in a 40-yard uh, foot race. So we're going to be talking about his foot race with the horse. We're going to talk about when he got in the NFL. I mean, he's a Super Bowl champion. We're going to be talking about when he got in the NFL and his first impressions when he actually met and then trained with Terrell Owens. And last but not least, the, one of the biggest takeaways from the show is we have a huge conversation about his new book, Be a Pro, and about this idea of what it's like to go from uh, the mentality of winning, having to win, to being a creator. And, and, and the mindset and, and the actions and the behaviors that people do when they want to create excellence in the world. So you're in store for a great episode with Super Bowl champion Jimmy Ferris. Stay tuned. And thank you for coming uh, to our show today. Guys, welcome to The Greatest Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. And boy, do we have a special guest, repeat guest. Jimmy Ferris is in the house. What's up, brother? What's up, man? Good to be back on with you. 
for those of you guys that are listening to these upcoming podcasts, you're going to know that I'm bringing my best stuff back. You can go back and listen to the show Jimmy and I did a couple of years ago. But we're going to be taking these into a different route today. Uh, Jimmy has a new book out, Be a Pro. Uh, and he was working on the book back then, but uh, the book came out earlier this year. And we're going to be talking about that. Man, I'm so pumped to have you here, Jimmy. Welcome, man. Man, I'm I'm excited. I know we don't. I feel like we don't get to do this enough. We gotta just FaceTime or something once a week so we can physically see each other. <laughs> I know, man. It's it's like uh, you and I. We, we're both presences. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for listeners that are new to the show, the greatness machine. We're about two things: people are living their passions, and those who are creating greatness in the world. And my boy Jimmy here is neither short of passion nor greatness. You know, I'm going to give a little background on how we met each other. So we actually met a couple of years ago through my book launch. And he was uh, introduced to me through Isaac Stegman and Amber Vilhauer, friends of ours. And we were both doing live stream shows at the time. So we both had our own live stream shows. We ended up getting on each other's shows. And I was like, man, I fucking love this guy. <laughs> and, and so we, uh, dude, we really hit it off. And then we ended up spending some time together in, in Austin. But, you know, for those of you that don't know, Jimmy is a former NFL pro. He uh, played six years in the NFL, and he now works with executives and CEOs alike, helping them to be a pro and, and really taking the lessons learned on the field and bringing them into real life. But uh, one of the coolest things that I know about Jimmy, there's, two, there's actually two cool things that I think that are, that are like things that say a lot about you. Number one is you want a Super Bowl ring. And like that, that like, I think. I looked, I did the stats on this and it's like point, it's like, even if you make it to the NFL, which is nearly impossible, it's like less than what, one in a million or six in a million or something like that. Um, wait, what is, you probably know the numbers. What percentage of high school athletes make it to the NFL? Do you know those numbers? Yeah, it's, it's, it's 0.001%. <laughs> yeah. 6% my ass. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Well, it, yeah. well, you think about what, what did you say? One in a million. So it's one in, you know, how many millions of, of high school kids? Um, yeah, it's crazy statistic. Yeah, it's a super, super low because per year, what is it? There's a million. How many kids? Well, let's, let's just do the numbers so the audience will, will know. So how many kids per year play? High, I think it's like a 1.1 kids per year, like play high school, like varsity football, right? Isn't something like that? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and then how, something how, like 400 and some some thousand or or 200 and some thousand go on to play college football at some level so whether that be like junior college NAIA D1 2 or 3 and then from there you know there's only there's only 250 some odd people drafted every year into the NFL draft and then another couple hundred guys signed uh via free agency after that so it just the it's like a big funnel. It just keeps getting smaller and smaller as it as you go up. Yeah, exponentially smaller. So so for every graduating class, and obviously there's a mixture of graduating classes that play pro, you've got a million kids graduating high school that play varsity football, million plus, four four or five hundred of them get make it into the league. And and then how many of how many how many of those actually make it on the field? Probably what, a quarter of those? Yeah. So there's there's thirty-two teams with 53 roster spots. So, you know, roughly 16, 1700 jobs every year in the NFL. So that was always kind of one of the things after I retired that I used to think about, I'm like, man, of, of all the people in the world, there was 1700, 1600 and some change of these jobs every year. And for six years, I was fortunate enough to hold one of them. So yeah, it's, it's, 
you know, at the risk of sounding braggadocious, I mean, it, it's pretty elite company. Um, it's pretty, it's an exclusive club, so to speak. And a um, um, lot of, like you said, a lot of kids in high school have that dream to get to college and maybe get to the pros and only a small percentage of them make it to college. And then same thing, a lot of guys in college want to play in the pros and only a certain percentage of those guys make it to that level. So um, it was, it was pretty elite. Yeah, it's funny. So yesterday, uh, I, I did a show yesterday with uh, one of my buddies, CK Chris Krause, and he played um, D1 for Vanderbilt, played football. And, and we were talking about this specific topic. And he's like, yeah, like, I, you know, I, I dreamed about being in the pros. And then there was this guy on my team who was a fucking beast. He benched like 450 and squatted like 900. And I yeah. saw he got drafted in like the seventh round. And then he like basically got cut. And I, I quickly had a reality check and was like, if that dude couldn't, didn't make it, I need to go focus more on school. <laughs> Man, you know, it's so funny. I, I think every guy that's ever played sports has a story similar to that. So I've got those from high school, college. And then one of the stories I talk about in my book is my very first day in the 49ers locker room when I met Terrell Owens, who... My, my dad grew up in the Bay Area, right? So we were 49ers fans. He's been a 49er fan his whole life. So I grew up in high school and in college watching the 49ers. So naturally, being a receiver, I was a Terrell Owens fan. And so my first day with the Niners, he walks into the locker room. And uh, you know, just being really candid, he starts undressing and changing to get into you know workout clothes for, for practice. And I'm sitting in my locker, and I'm kind of looking over at him like this, you know, kind of trying to sneak a peek and I'm looking at this dude's body thinking, you know, he's six, three, 225, 230 pounds, just shredded. And first thing that went through my head was if that's what an NFL receiver looks like, I might as well just go turn in my equipment and fold up my tent because this dude was like superhero. Like it was unbelievable. So <laughs> that was that moment for me where I was like, okay, I don't know if I, if I belong here comparing myself to that guy. Did you guys have the same job, you and him? Yeah, like, exactly the same job. Um, in fact, we we ended up playing. Um, he played the Z receiver and I played the X receiver. Um, and so, you know, as the story went later on that year in training camp, my rookie year, we had a couple injuries. And I ended up going from undrafted number 11 out of 11 on the depth chart of receivers that we had in camp to a starting receiver with Terrell. So when when they called first team offense and when we started the preseason games that year, my rookie year, I was the starter at X and Terrell was a starter at Z. So it was really surreal kind of how that that all transpired through the course of that training camp. You know, I think like maybe there was a little bit of imposter syndrome is what you know, I'm hearing you say. Like you get there and you're like, holy fuck, that's because that guy was he was number one on the depth chart, right? I'm assuming number num number one in the in the NFL. I mean, it right, was yeah. like. You know, it's it's like Everyone's him or Randy chart. Moss. Yeah, right. it literally at that time it was like Terrell Owens or Randy Moss. Like you pick who you think is the best receiver in the NFL. And so, yeah, it was this weird um, kind of uh, psychology that I was dealing with, right? Which was I had come in to the 49ers after being an All American in college, and you know, kind of come in with this mindset like I was pissed off they didn't draft me. And I was thinking, I'm going to prove to you guys that I'm, I'm better than what you thought, that I deserve to be here. I belong here. You should have drafted me. I'm going to prove you guys wrong, essentially, right? And I come in with that mindset. And then I see Terrell, 
And I'm like, well, shit, if that's what an NFL receiver needs to look like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe they were right for not drafting me. So I'm, I'm conflicted with that whole thought process, right? How am I going to approach this? And, um, you know, as, as that story kind of goes, ultimately what I did was realized I needed to get a lot better that they were probably right. That I wasn't as good as I thought I was, that I wasn't ready to be an NFL player. And that if I wanted to stick around there, if I wanted to make that team and have a career in the NFL, I needed to be a lot better. The quickest way I could do that was copy everything Terrell Owens was doing, right? It's that old Jim Rohn idea that success leaves clues. And I, that's a pillar for me in everything that I do now. I, I look at every successful person that I know and try to pick up something about what they're doing to be successful, whether it just be a habit, a routine, a little practice that they have and try to copy that, emulate it or implement it into my life. And I really kind of learned that and honed that way back then, 20 some years ago when I met Terrell Owens. What was the, what was the one thing that you saw him doing though? You're like, oh, I get it. Well, I mean, outside of being a fucking yeah. specimen. Yeah, yeah. Putting that aside, putting that, the specimen shit aside, what was the one yep. thing you were like, all right, I'm just going to, what was that thing that he did where you're like, I'm copying that? Attention to detail. Attention to detail. And, and what I mean by that is if we were supposed to do 10 reps on a set in the weight room, Terrell did 10 or 11. Um, if we were supposed to do 10 wind sprints, he did 10 or 11. Um, if a route that we were running was at 12 yards, he got to 12. He was incredibly precise when it came to the small, small details. And I thought that I was, right? When I came in, I thought coming from college that I was a hard worker. I, I paid attention to the details and I did all the little things right. And then I saw a guy doing that at a, at a completely different level, at a level higher than, than what I'd ever been exposed to and thought, oh shit, this is, this is what this really looks like. You know? So it's diet was dialed, right? I mean, this guy was eating salad and tilapia every day for lunch and you know, getting in the cold tub to recover after practice and getting in the sauna and the hot tub to warm up, stretching and Every little thing that you could think of that he felt like would affect his performance and make him better, he did it. And so I saw that attention to detail and thought, man, if this is what it takes for him, given all of his other attributes to be successful, I got to do that and some. And so those are the things that I just started copying. So, you know, I guess this is an interesting thought because a lot of the stuff you just said, I guess I just assumed to make it at that level, everyone does that. And what I'm hearing you say is like, nah, there's people that, that like, that's actually the except. Cause I heard the same thing actually about um, uh, Tom Brady, that he's yes. that, like, that fanatical about every little micro inch, right? And there's yes. an interesting quote from um, what's his face, the guy that was the famous coach from the Green Bay Packers, really it's most Lombardi. famous. Coach. Yeah, Lombardi's like football's a game of inches, right? And so, yes. you know, and inches count, right? So, yeah. What's his name? You know, the famous dude? Uh, oh, yeah. Vince Lombardi. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, that, that famous guy. Um, so, you know, I just made when you were just saying all that, I'm like, what? They do? Everyone doesn't do that. So, so tell me about that. Is that what do they do? 90% of it, but they don't do the last 10 or there's slot. Or there's some, some people just like get by on their pure athleticism and they're like, yes, I don't need to, I don't need to like what percentage 
of like, yeah, I guess that's the question is, is how many guys actually do it at that level? And if there's how many people on a roster, you said 53 on a roster, 53 yeah. on the 53, how many would you say do it at that level? 10, 15, maybe. Wow. Those are the elite guys, right? Yeah. So one of the dynamics you have at play in that situation is that most of those guys are so good physically and they've always been so gifted physically that they've been able to get by on their physical attributes combined with a little bit of the extras, right? So it's it's this idea like, you know, one of the things we talk about, you heard it when we talked about it in Boston. It's that idea that like, I'm good enough, right? Like I got here to the NFL. I was a second round draft pick doing what I've been doing. And so what separates guys once they get to the elite, elite levels, and this is in life, business, sports, whether it be basketball, football, baseball, soccer, you name it, right? What separates the elite is that small attention to detail, that obsession around, you know, you've heard me talk about the Tom Brady perfect spiral thing, that idea that, that he's obsessed about throwing the absolute perfect spiral. And throwing the perfect ball with the perfect ball placement. And he knows that in order to do that, everything else has to be right. And that comes down to what he's eaten for breakfast, the stretching that he did the night before he went to bed, the, the core activation drill that he's going to do before he goes out to practice. That's what makes Tom Brady elite. It's not that he has a better, better talent. He was born with more talent than you know, the next guy in the totem pole than a Peyton Manning or Drew Brees or one of those guys. It's that the top, top highest level performers pay attention to those small, small little details, the kind of the extra, the next level. You know, you hear people say things all the time, like don't sweat the small stuff. I mean, terrible advice if you want to be a top elite level performer, right? Because the guys at the very top, the top performers in any industry sweat everything. Mm. Those are the stories about Steve Jobs being obsessive about the font on the iPhone. You know, they send him a hundred different examples and he's like, this one's too dark. This is too light. That's too sharp. That's too soft. This obsession around every single detail in that, when he looks at that font on his iPhone, the obsession around every detail, that's, that's the difference. And, and I guess that's a long-winded way to answer your question that not everybody's doing that. They're just not. That's the difference between, you know, guys like me, for instance, that, yeah, I played for six years. I never made it to those super, super elite Pro Bowl, Super Bowl MVP levels. Um, for me, that was, that was just because I had maxed out my talent. There was guys every year that were bigger, faster, stronger, more talented more exceptional than me that didn't tap into that next level. And I was able to beat those guys out because I was doing all of those things um, just to stay there. I had to do all that stuff just to stay there. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's, that's a testament to man to your work ethic. I love that. So I said that there's two things that, that really impressed me and, 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 um, I actually wanted to talk about the second one first, but <laughs> <laughs> but we we went down the rabbit hole. I mean, you know, Super Bowl champions like that's that's like that's next. You know, that's like unbelievable, right? So, uh, but 
Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply and Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. But the second thing is actually pretty unbelievable, too. So I learned that so Jimmy um, came and spoke at my event at, at MIT this year. And, um, and he, he told this story about when he was in college, about this time when he raced a horse. And I, <laughs> oh, I, 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 dude, I fucking laughed so hard. I, I, you, 
Would you mind telling our listeners that, that story? And so that story, this was in like 1999. So before, you know, smartphones and camera phones, I don't even think I had a cell phone at the time. Um, I, I would do anything to have it on video because it's one of those stories that if it, if it hadn't made the local newspaper, I don't know if I would still believe that it happened. I might think that it was some dream or something I made up, but I was, so one of the things I did in the off season at Montana was I ran track in the spring. Um, I was a pretty good sprinter. I wasn't an elite level sprinter, but I was good enough to compete in the hundred meters in the big sky conference. And I of course did it because I wanted to be faster and be more prepared for the upcoming football season. And so I would say early June, end of May of 1999, I was down at Stockman's Bar in Missoula, Montana, place where we spent a lot of time in college. And I was talking to a guy at the bar about the track meet that I'd just come from. And a couple seats down, there's an older guy at the end of the bar that he's kind of listening and um, he's a few beers in and he overhears our conversation. And he, he says something to the effect of, so you're a runner, huh? I bet you think you're pretty fast. And I kind of caught me off guard. And so I looked and, and I said to him, well, I could beat you if that's what you're asking. You know, I was 21 <laughs> and cocky. And, and uh, he says, uh, he looks at me for a second and he says, well, that may be true. But I know somebody that could kick your ass in a race, my horse. (laughs) True story, right? So everybody within earshot just starts laughing their ass off. You know how that happens. And if you're in a college bar and there's some old guy talking shit to a 21 year old, you know, college football player. And uh, he says, I got 500 bucks that says my horse can kick your ass in a 50 yard race. So I thought about a couple of things. I was like, number one, I don't have 500 bucks. I was completely broke. And so I didn't have the money to back up my, my mouth. And number two, immediately, it's funny how these things happen immediately. He said 50 yards and immediately I was like, I want to do it over 40 yards. Why? Because football players are trained in to run forties, right? The 40 is like one of the key metrics for that, that scouts use to judge a football player's speed. And so I'd been running forties for, you know, probably the last five, six years just trying to get faster in a 40. I was really good in a 40 yard dash. And so I said, all right, you make it 40 yards and you got a bet. And he agreed to it and we shook hands. And so the next day I go out to his ranch, like five or 10 miles outside of Missoula city limits. And I pull up to this ranch and right out front of his house, this big pasture where he's got a two by four and a sprinkler head set up. This is the starting line and the finish line. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So I'm thinking to myself, I, I think I was literally one of the quotes that was in the, the Missoula newspaper. One of the things I was thinking was only in Montana could a guy get himself involved in something like this. It was like the old Wild West, right? Like an old duel. Meet me out at the, the corral and we're going to have a shootout. And so I show up, I start warming up and stretching and doing some sprint drills. And he comes trotting out on his horse and he's trying to mean mug me, talking all this shit. Well, we end up lining it up. One of my teammates gives the old on your marks, get set, go. And I just blew out. Never saw him, right? I I got out of my three-point stance, went through kind of my little progression, running the 40, and never saw him. I turned around. I crossed the finish line, turned around. He was a couple yards behind me. I mean, it wasn't even close, which was surprising to me. 
I did know a little bit about horses uh, growing up around them in, in Idaho that they don't start particularly fast. So that's why I wanted the race at 40 yards instead of 50, because I figured the longer the race went, the, the more time the horse had to catch me. And horses are long striders and they get faster over the, the, the distance. And so, so I got it at 40 yards, ran the 40, smoked him, wasn't even close and uh, got my 500 bucks and got the fuck out of there. <laughs> it's a <laughs> legendary story. To this day, when I go back to Missoula and I go back to Stockman's bar, one of the guys that, that owns the bar still, still owns it, still stands down at that far corner of the bar. Every time I see him, he'll say, Ferris, you remember racing that horse, you know, back in the day, we still talk about it. It's still kind of a legendary tale in Montana. <laughs> That's, do you have to frame that uh, newspaper. If you, do you have it, the newspaper article still? Yeah. So I've got um, somebody framed. It's actually hanging right out here, right outside my office window. Um, and there's an article that was done on me. And, and the headline of the article says, after taking on a horse and a whole new attitude, is Jimmy Ferris ready for a big time season? <laughs> uh. <laughs> so in, in, the, in the headline of the article, and I've got that picture with that headline framed right out there. And then they talk about it in the article. It's, it's just a just a crazy time, you know, where I don't even know what I was thinking other than, well, guy bet me 500 bucks and I'll take that challenge. Yeah, youth is youth is uh <laughs> I mean naive a Man. little bit, right? But 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 you but you, you nailed it. Uh that's so funny. Was there like um when you showed up was there a bunch of people there from from your school, like your team or like how many people were there? No, so it was just there there was probably eight or six or eight of us of my buddies that rode out there with me. So we loaded up and one of my, one of my teammates had a, had a pickup. And so we put three or four guys in the cab and then three or four guys in the back and drove out there. So it was just the guys that were with me, the guy who challenged me and his wife, funny enough, because his, one of the things I remember about the story was his wife was pissed off because he didn't give me cash. He wrote me a check. Funny <laughs> enough. He, he wrote me a check when I left. So I had to go to my bank and deposit this check from this guy. And his wife wrote that we went inside of like a little, um, little foyer of his house. And his wife came out with a checkbook and wrote the check, handed it to him. And he handed it to me and she was pissed off. <laughs> she was mad that, that he lost the 500. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, so yep. did he ride the horse? Was he on the back yes. of the horse? Yes. Oh, shit. Yep. Do you think that had well, he... Well, I guess he has to, right? Because the horse isn't instinctually going to know it's racing you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was the funny thing. When he said that, a lot of people thought that one of two things, either we were both going to be riding horses. Because here's another funny piece of the story that I tell in the book. So my brother was a, he, at the time he was doing college rodeo here in Idaho. He was a team roper. He was a champion level team roper. And I called him and I said, Hey, this guy just bet me 500 bucks that, that he could beat me in a horse race. And I said, what do you think? You think I could win over 40 yards? And my brother goes, well, I don't know, but when was the last time you rode a horse, dude, don't fall off. You know? <laughs> and I said, no, I said, no, he's riding the horse and I'm running. Um, and so that there was some confusion about that. Initially, some of my buddies were like, you know, are you going to be riding a horse or is he riding the horse or, or is the horse going to be like running free? You know? So um, yeah, it wasn't until we got out there that I figured out exactly what he wanted to do, where he was going to be riding his horse against me 
running. So it's kind of a funny deal. Do you remember like the look on his face after you got over the finish line? And it was he like pissed? He yeah, he couldn't believe it. He couldn't. Oh, he, was, he, was, he was so mad. He was so sure because in his mind, it was, you know, animal versus man, horse versus man. And, and you know, he, he had a number of horses out there. He had a nice big ranch outside of, of Missoula, Montana. And he just, he just didn't know what he was kind of getting himself into. And yeah. I had a little bit of previous knowledge. Like I said, I grew up around horses. My grandparents had horses and we rode them when I was a kid. And so I knew that, you know, horses, they're so big and long legged that they don't get out fast. Right. And over time, they, you know, if, we, if it would have been a hundred meters or a hundred yards, he would have beat me by 20 yards. But yeah. in that short distance, I had enough time to get out and he wouldn't be able to catch me. And he didn't understand that. And he was, he was, he was really pissed off. Yeah. He wanted to remake. He was like, no, let's do it again. You know, we need to do it again. I started. No more, nothing like that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Like, no, dude, I just beat you on your fucking horse. Like, your horse. You, you go pound sand, dude. Like done deal. Yep. You, you open your stupid fair. mouth. I took the bet yep. and you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have bet me. <laughs> yeah. He was pissed. Oh, um, Oh, I love that story, man. Hey, gang, Darius Mashaza here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. So listen, I know we have a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners out there that listen to the show. And right now, if you're one of those folks and you're doing, let's call it a bare minimum of seven figures and above in your business, then what I'd like to do is give you an offer right now. How would you like to get your hands on the frameworks that I actually used to scale my last company, which started off as a small little seven-figure company to over $100 million in annual revenue. And I did it in less than two years, and I did it without costly growing pains, without the headaches that, that you usually experience when you are scaling your business. So if you're one of those folks and you're trying to grow your company, but you're, you're finding yourself stuck in that day-to-day, if you're one of the listeners and you're getting grinded, this is your respite from getting grinded on your business, you're listening to our show, and you're dealing with the breakdowns, you're dealing with inefficiencies, and you know, you've know you got that firefighter suit on and all the problems lining on your desk, and you're, you're not doing the work you're supposed to be doing, which is working on the business instead of in it, then what I'm about to talk to you about for the next call, 60 seconds, this is precisely for you. Real quickly, though, if you don't already know this about me, prior to starting The Greatness Machine, I spent 20 years of my life as a founder and CEO of real-world companies. And during that time, I actually grew my companies to over $1.2 billion with a B in bootstrap revenue. In fact, uh, we scaled out my last company from 30 to 1,000 employees, and we did it in just 36 months. And we did it all by using a three-step framework that I call my scale map method. So that, of course, brings us to the purpose of this here mid-roll ad. Yes, this is what the podcast producers call these things. Recently, I created a 30-minute training. And what it does is it walks you step-by-step through all of my scale map method frameworks. And you can watch it right now for free when you go to DariusScale.com. That's my first name, Darius. Scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And what these frameworks do is they fix... They simplify and they streamline every single aspect of your business. And they do it without the need for complicated scaling systems that are typically way too difficult and way too time consuming for a busy CEO like you and from my, like myself was to implement. 
So if you want a simple and you want a proven path to remove yourself from the day-to-day operations, just like I did, so that you can do what you're supposed to be doing, which is leading your company to record growth without the headaches and without the growing pains, go to DariusScale.com. That's www.DariusScale.com. Watch the short video and I'll see you guys on the inside. Now, back to the show. So, dude, I wanted to get into the book. You know, last time you were, you were on, um, I was telling Jimmy before the show, I'm like, man, it, last time we were on, by the way, I think it was like a two-hour show. Like, it was, it was like we, 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 we had to do a part, a part two. Um, <laughs> like, you have two guys that could talk a lot, hanging out to, with each other. But you were working on the book then. But yeah, tell us about the book. So the book is called Be a Pro, Your Blueprint to Professional Level Achievement. And what I, what I wanted to do with the book I wanted to write something that could resonate with C-suite level executives all the way down to my teenage nephews who are pursuing their dreams in college football and academics and different things. I read like yourself, I read a ton of you know business and personal development type books. And I think there's some amazing content out there. So many of the books that I read are so high level, so in-depth, and so complex that I think that it, it, it scares people and keeps them from executing at the level that they could. So I wanted to write something that was very simple and had really, really easy to execute on ideas. I'm one of those guys that always thinks when I go hear somebody speak or when I read a book, if I can take one or two things from this presentation or this book that I can go implement into my life or my work or my relationships immediately that will move the needle, then, then it was worth my time. And so I wanted to make sure that everything I was putting forward in the book was stuff that was easily digestible and easy to implement, easy to take action on. And so I talk about the three pillars of the Be a Pro program, which is to be prepared, reliable, and obsessed. They go in depth on on those pillars. And then I introduce what I call the 33 habits of all pros, which are 33 habits, practices, principles that some of the highest performers in athletics and business that, that I've ever been around. These are, these are characteristics, traits, and habits that these people really embody. Um, so I introduce those as a way to say, hey, look, if you want to take your game to another level, Here's a way, here's a habit that you can implement. Here's a characteristic that you can embody because again, like I said, success leaves clues. And so some of the best of the best in multiple industries around the world embody these habits, these characteristics. If you can begin to embody those and practice and replicate those habits, you've got to get better. Your, your, your likelihood of success and achievement has to improve as a result of that. And so like, where did you do your research for this book? Like, how did you, like, obviously some of it's from your own life lessons, but did you go outside of your own life lessons and, and look at any specific people or industries? Like, like, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So a lot of it, a lot of it came through um, my coaching sessions, right? That's one of the things I love about coaching. Um, I, I coach a small number of, of clients. Um, I'm pretty selective, pretty picky about who I work with. And through those conversations, a lot of those things were derived through asking questions. I'm an infinitely curious person. So it's, it's, I think one of the things we um, hit it off over was when we first started talking, 
you know, I peppered you with questions about, hey, you know, everything from money to success, you know, whatever. If you if you engage people in a conversation, high performers, you know, the the type of people that you want to be like, you engage them in a conversation and ask them questions, they'll tell you the answers, right? None of this stuff is a secret. You can get some of these answers out of people. And so it was a combination of my experiences in my journey to the NFL, things that I used that worked for me, things that I saw the guys like Terrell Owens and Tom Brady and a, a plethora of other guys that I played with that were incredible athletes and, and um, high performers. And then, like you said, different business owners, CEOs, executives, and people that I've had the good fortune to be around over the 10 years since I retired from the NFL, things that I, that I pulled from conversations and answers to, to questions that I asked them, I kind of compiled all of that and distilled it down into what I thought were were the 33 most important things. And um, there's there's probably 50 or 60 of them. There's a lot that got left on the cutting room floor, but those are the ones that I think are the most important. And if you go through that list of 33, like, would you mind sharing like one or two of your favorites with us? Yeah, so personally, my favorites are that pros have high expectations. Not, again, simple, right? Very simple, nothing earth shattering, groundbreaking. You'd be surprised how many people that I talk to, people that, that run successful businesses, people that have been relatively successful in life that say things like, um, well, you know, if you keep your expectations low, you're never disappointed. And one of the articles that I came across four or five years ago that really made me want to make a point about this expectations idea was that one of the, the leading uh, causes of unhappiness. And this is in uh, uh, um, you know, the world of psychology, like clinical psychology, was that one of the leading factors for unhappiness was disappointment. And so naturally, if you want to be happier, reduce the number of disappointments you experience on your life in your life on a day-to-day basis. So if you lower your expectations, then you can lower the amount of disappointment that you have in your life. And I, I just, I, I shook my head at that um, and got angry about that, that this is what we're telling people to expect less from yourself, from people, to not shoot as high, to not you know, shoot your shot, as they say, to not go for what you really want and really put yourself out there because you risk disappointment. And so we'd rather just have you play it safe and stay in your comfort zone and find happiness within your comfort zone. And so I talk about that idea that I've always held the highest expectations. When I set out to play football, I was like, I'm going to the NFL. I'm going to be an all pro. When I sat down to write my book, I was like, it's going to be a bestseller. When I started in the this coaching and speaking space, I was like, I'm going to be one of the best. Now, do all those things always happen? No. but I always hold the highest expectations that whatever the best case scenario, whatever the best thing that can happen is, that's what will happen for me. I go into every relationship and, and friendship and anything with the expectation that it's going to work out for the best. So that, that idea about expectations is one of my favorite. Uh, can I jump in and yeah. interject just for a second before we move on from here? So I, I'm, as you know, like a, a chronically, like, like I'm a high expectations person too. Like, like I, that resonates with me. I'm like, yeah, like 
one of the things I always tell people, I'm like, listen, if one person can do it, you can do it, right? Now, that's not always the case, right? Like, can you be an all pro NFL athlete? Like, maybe, but you know, you, you sure as hell don't know until you go get after it. And at cer- I think at certain levels, when everyone has high expectations and everyone is good, some of it just comes down to like God given, like talent, right? Like, yes. like, 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 like at, at a certain level, it's like, dude, you're just competing against biology, right? And there's certain industries where that's more relevant, i.e., NFL or professional sports. Uh, in business, I actually don't think that's true. I think business is one of these more level playing. Now, you can be smarter and more savvy or see moments, but I think that there's such an array of ways of winning that business is more of a level playing field and just having high expectations and, and put, taking risk and assessing risk and doing the work, you can actually, like, it's hard to say who's going to be the best, right? So, but one of my questions for you is, is around this idea of, of, disappointment right because i will tell you man i'm a person where like my number one strength's achiever so like i'm a person that sets goals crushes them or doesn't but like still sets the big goal and i've noticed something about myself is even when i crush the big goal i'm not like i just move on to the next goal right and, and, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah and so there's this element of like dissatisfaction and like one of my friends said this about me and i've been trying i mean i've been really as i've gotten older i'm 44 now and so, like, you know, as I've gotten wiser, I'm like, yeah, man, that's kind of not a way to live where it's like I'm always dissatisfied, right? So yeah. there's this idea of enjoying the journey, right? And, and, and like the win is to enjoy the journey, not the outcome necessarily. The outcome that you want to set a high goal. So the journey is a, you know, struggle well type of journey, as Ray Dalio would say. But what are your, like, what are your thoughts on that when you look at successful people, the ability to enjoy the journey? What, do you have any ideas or thoughts around that? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 100%. You, you, the answer was, was in the question in that um, it's the idea of being process focused rather than outcome focused, right? Because we, we don't always get the outcome. And what happens is when you talk about disappointment, so many people get disappointed without hitting the goal because they, they fail to see the progress that was made in the attempt Right. So, for instance, if somebody said, hey, I want to lose 50 pounds and they lose 45, did they fail? I mean, you could you could say the goal was 50. Hit it. Right. You know, Um, can I answer that? I'm like, yeah, they failed, dude. Like, get get, do BTO, get over the finish line. You you, you made 90 percent of the way there. So was it was it did they fail because 
they their legs got amputated and losing those last five pounds were like really hard. Okay, I could buy that maybe. Well, you'd probably lose five pounds if your legs did, but um, <laughs> um yeah. but I mean not to but, be morbid. To your point though, I'm I'm you know, as a let, let's say somebody that that's coaching that person, am I disappointed? Am I pissed off that that the goal was 50 and we got 45? Hell no, because no. the process. The process, in the process, they were able to prove to themselves that they can make significant progress towards any goal or any outcome that they want to achieve. And so focusing on the process detached from the outcome is the key to what you were saying. Now, I say that being a very outcome-based person, right? It's like, you know, I got cut numerous times in the NFL. And when I got cut, when the goal was to make the roster, I was devastated, of course, but I was also able to pull so much inspiration and motivation and increase my determination to move forward because of everything I knew that I put into achieving that goal. Fell a little bit short, but I knew deep down, like I'm capable of making this happen. I got to make a few adjustments here, a few tweaks here, and I can make it happen. The, The second thing though that I want to address, you talk about dissatisfaction. I had a guy many years ago that I worked with that put that in in perspective for me that really changed my life around that idea. He used this this term called happily dissatisfied. And he explained to me how dissatisfaction was the driver for every great invention, every feat of greatness, every achievement in human history was derived from dissatisfaction around something. Right. If you think about, you know, the automobile, it's because there was dissatisfaction about means of travel. And I'm glad the Wright brothers were dissatisfied, right? Because they ultimately led us into the era of of airplanes and air travel. And so for you personally, I think it's a good thing to be dissatisfied. I think a level of dissatisfaction, meaning that I always want to try to be better. I know I'm capable of more. And so whatever I'm doing now. I can take it to a higher level. Where I will challenge you, though, is in that idea of winning. A lot of people use that phrase. You said it a couple of times. I like to win. I want to win. Sometimes even when I do win, I'm dissatisfied. Winning is not the goal, bro, because think about this. At this point in our lives, what are we trying to win? And and what are you actually winning? Like people say all the time, like, man, so-and-so is winning at life. I'm like, according to what metric? Because if you make, let's just, let's just use hypotheticals. Let's just say, Darius, you, you make $10 million a year and you're like, fuck, man, I'm winning. I'm crushing it. I'm like, really? Because all I got to do is bring a guy into the room that's a billionaire and say, you're shit compared to this guy. So you're not winning because compared to him, you're getting crushed. So this idea of winning, what, how do you win in your marriage? What, because you and your wife do more date nights than your neighbor? Or are you guys, like, how are you winning? How are you winning as a parent? Because your kids are getting in less in trouble at school. Or I, I mean, this, this idea that we're in competition with something or someone is, is ridiculous. One yeah. of the things I talk about in the book, one of the habits is that the evolution from competition to creation, which is just to say, I'm here to create 
the best version of me. I'm here to create the best company that I can. I'm here to create the best relationship. I'm here to with my spouse and my kids. Here to create the best of whatever I can, regardless of how that compares to something else in the world. Because a, a, a lot of dissatisfaction and disappointment comes from comparison. So you might lose 100 pounds, which is a huge feat for you and look fantastic. And then you go to the gym and you see some guy that's a bodybuilder and you're like, well, compared to him, I look like shit. Then you feel bad about that. When you've just achieved something for yourself that is an unbelievable achievement, right? For somebody to get to 250K or $500,000 a year salary, mind-blowing money, right? Life-changing money. And then they get around some people that are two, three, five million dollar a year people and they feel like shit. Yeah. Right? They're not winning anymore. Because when we com- when we get into these comparisons and these competitions, then we start to feel the lack. We start to feel less than. And that's one of the things that I want to completely abolish in this space. Like there's no winning. You're not going to win anything. There's no competition. Um, because the rules of the game are not definite. There's no metric. You might win for a quarter or a day or a week and then you get your ass kicked next year. You, you know, So creating the best version of you and, and the best of everything that you can to me is the goal. And that's, that's how you avoid that disappointment and that ultimate dissatisfaction. Oh, I love that, man. I, I love that. I need to hear that this morning. Um, <laughs> and I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm a person that's, uh, yeah, it's because it, to your point, like, there's that quote, what compared despair, right? Or just yes. yeah, compared despair, right? And and that that's what that is. Like it's like comparison is is what is the what the pathway to 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 uh, you know to, to disappointment and and to depression, right? Like 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 why why compare yourself against other people? Like it's it's there's a there's a or to anything for that matter. And I think there's a time in our lives when we when it maybe serves us when we're younger, right? And we don't understand these concepts around being a creator. There's a book called The Power of Ted by uh, Dave Emerald, where he talks about, you know, the drama triangle and, you know, you're either a victim or you're a creator, right? And, and we per- tend to persecute ourselves into, you know, we, we, you know, lash ourselves into working harder and harder. As an athlete, I did that when I was young. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to, I'd lose against the, you know, I got third in league when I was a junior and I'm like, I'm going to win league next year. And two of the guys that beat me are, are coming back. So all I did was I'm like, I'm beating those guys and, yes. and constantly was like, and like, I'm going to outwork them in the off season and I'm, and I would come back and they're going to look at me and be like, holy fuck, do I got to wrestle that guy? And that's, yeah. I mean, literally that's what happened when, for me. I came back and just destroyed them. And, and it was funny when it happened, I didn't care. <laughs> like, right. like, like, like I, I didn't feel the same way. Like, like this was, a, but, but to your point, I, I, I didn't, I didn't from a, I didn't come from a creator standpoint because then you're then when you move on to the next thing and it's not about being your best version of yourself it's about not losing right and and that's a I think that's a limiting factor that you start to psychologically creates anxiety it, it affects performance so I, I fully appreciate that perspective of how can I approach this as a creator because creation is 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 bountiful and and you can create in your own way right yeah. um, one of the reasons I do this show. Like this is like my one moment. Sometimes I do five shows a week, right? Where I'm like, 
dude, I get to create. This is fun. We get to talk and create something cool and people get to listen to this and learn from this. So this is a creation moment for me. But what's the, I don't know if you had anything else to add to that, but I know you, I interrupted you to ask this question. Was there, what was the other thing that you were going to say? And I don't know if you remember it right now, but you said that there was another thing in the book that was one of your favorites. That was it. Was Oh, got it, that, got it. Cool. Yeah, that, that pros move from that mindset of competition to creation. But you made a, you make such a great point that part of all of this in personal development and you know the self-help industry as it pertains to to our personal lives and our business and all those type of things is is growth and evolution and so the point that you made about how a, a competitive mindset served us at one time absolutely no question there was a time in my life where where I just wanted to be better than that guy and that motivation to be better than him cuz cuz whatever guy it was, was the gold standard. I was like, man, that's the best football player I've ever seen. Or that's the most successful business that I know. Or I want to be better than that guy. And that drove us. A lot of my drive when I was young was to prove people wrong. Right. And so many people that doubted me, right. That were like, yeah, right. You're not going to the NFL, dude. Like you'll be lucky to go to college. And I was like, okay, motherfucker, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then when I got there, when I got there, I was fired up. I was like, what now? You know, literally like, what now, motherfucker? You were the guy saying I wasn't going to do it. That drove me for so long. But guess what happened? About two or three years into my NFL career, I was like, hmm, so I'm here. I proved them wrong. Nobody's really doubting me anymore. Now what? Now hey, what and by the way, did, did you even know what those people thought at that point? Didn't like, care. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, I, like, like that meant nothing. Yeah. It was just it was a conversation you had. You you didn't even see that person probably ever. No, nope. no. Nope. And and you know, every once in a while, I would think about some of that stuff, and I'd be like, "Yeah, wow, that's crazy, man. They doubted me, and I made it. Like, cool." But it didn't drive me anymore. There was yeah. nothing in me that was like, "And I'm gonna go run ten two hundreds because fuck those guys that doubted me." Right? That didn't exist anymore. Like, I already, and so already, wrong. Already did it. And so again, it's, it's a, it's a piece of that creation. So what started to drive me was I was like, I'm here now I'm amongst all these amazing athletes, these super high level achievers. I wonder how good I can be. Wonder how, how high I can take it. I wonder how many years I can last in the NFL. I don't need to be a superstar. I don't need to be Terrell Owens. I don't need to be the greatest ever. I really love being here. I love the work. I love the challenge. Let me see how great I can be. Let me see how far I can take it. And so without even knowing it, and again, I, I want to make clear, I wasn't thinking in these terms back then, you know, competition, creation. I wasn't thinking like, let me become a creator. I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew that in my mind, I was like, I just want to see how good I can be now. I proved everybody else wrong. I just want to see how, how good I can be and how high. I can take this, how far I can take it, how long I can last. And, um, and that was a beautiful shift for me because my enjoyment level of what I was doing increased exponentially. Nice. Oh, man. I love that, dude. Oh, Jimmy, you and I could just go for hours. I want to go for another hour. I love this. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I know. I think, I think next time we do this, uh, we should do it live when you're in Austin. We'll, we can sit down and, and talk more, more. But 
but man, dude, you're doing so many cool things. And I love, I love the work you're doing and you're coaching on this stuff right now. And you got the book out there and speaking, uh, for, you know, for any listeners that want to connect with you, maybe bring you in, work with you or, you know, bring you in to come work at one of their events or with their teams. Um, how can they connect with you? What's the best way for them to do that? So any of my social media, Instagram, Facebook, or just at Jimmy Ferris. And if you want to just send me an email, Jimmy at Jimmy Ferris, F-A-R-R-I-S.com, Jimmy at Jimmy Ferris.com. Um, I'd love to hear from you, man. I, I, I feel really fortunate. You know, I know you and I've talked about this before. I got to play football for my first career, uh, my first life, as I like to say, something that I, that I love to do. And I got really lucky to to find another thing that I really truly love to do as kind of my second act, and um, um, I just feel really fortunate about that. And so I say that just to say, if anybody has any questions, wants to chat, has anything they want me to put more context around, message me. I love these conversations. I'm I'm not hard to access. I'm not hard to get to, and I love the conversation. So I'd love to hear from you. Awesome, man. And and last but not least, uh, the book, where can people find it? What's the best way for them to connect if they want to get a copy of the book? Yeah, Amazon. Amazon, um, just type in Jimmy Ferris Be a Pro, pops right up. Or obviously, if you want to order bulk copies, you got a group or a team that you want to get bulk copies for, again, message me on on social media or send me an email, jimmy at jimmyferris.com, and uh, we can talk about how to get that done. Awesome, brother, man. Appreciate you so much. Thank you for coming on the show today, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate it, Darius. All right. Peace out, everybody. Talk to you soon. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, 
I get straight to the point and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.